Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. I'm here in the beautiful state of Colorado, in the beautiful city of Colorado Springs. I'm doing a parish mission. Uh, tonight's my last night. I'll be back in my studio in Phoenix, Arizona uh, tomorrow morning to continue doing the programs uh, from my studio. But I just want to uh, welcome you to Jesus 911. I'm a one-man car today. My partner Ruben's out doing some apostolic work. I'm here with the lovely Miss Anita in uh, Colorado Springs. And we are here once again doing a parish mission. Hey, tonight is, I mean, uh, today is the feast day of St. John of God. St. John of God, pray for us. This is the Tuesday of the first week of Lent. And the Lord promises that the word that comes from his mouth will be like rain and snow that come down from the heavens. Tonight's, today's gospel and Holy Mass is the Our Father. And uh, the Our Father, I'll be discussing it, especially at the end. The Our Father says, and deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. The Catechism says that the Our Father actually says, deliver us from the evil one. That means Satan or Lucifer. So the Our Father is a deliverance prayer against evil spirits taught to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But I want to share today's first reading on Jesus 911 before I get into the topics of today. I want to talk about heroes and zeros in our country. Then I want to talk about Vladimir Putin and his Russian orthodoxy. Is he a true believer or a deceptive opportunist? We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll probe into that. Today's first reading at Holy Mass was from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 and 11, which demonstrates one thing, that when you pray, your prayers are projected into the cosmos. It's right in the Bible. Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens, the rains and the snow come down and do not return there till they, till they watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. That's projection. That word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. Once again, sent it, projected into the cosmos, carried to heaven by the angels. That's the theology of prayer. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Today's uh, first reading demonstrates clearly that prayer is projection. Uh, this is the way we, uh, project, we, we send our prayers to heaven carried by the angels, and at the same time, our prayers of projection, projected into the cosmos, also injure, torment, and uh, drive demons away from us. Today's uh, psalm is Psalm 34. <clears throat> Glorify the Lord with me. Let us together extol his name. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Look to him that you may be radiant with joy, and your faces may not blush with shame. When the poor one called out, the Lord heard. And from all his distress, he saved him. The Lord has eyes for the just and ears for their cry. The Lord confronts the evil doers to destroy the remembrance of them from the earth. By the way, there's a lot of evil doers. And the Bible says that they will no longer be remembered. When they are destroyed in hell, they will no longer be remembered. Guess what? 
but the voice of those or the names of those in heaven in the Lamb's book of life, the saints in heaven, their names will be echoed for all eternity. Go back to today's Psalm 34. When the just cry out, that means those that are in a state of grace, the just, the Lord hears them and from all their distress, he rescues them. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit, he saves. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Okay, I want to talk about heroes and zeros of the month. There's a great organization that keeps us aware of the political climate in America. They're called Catholic Vote. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, one of the local guys here in Phoenix, Arizona, to try to uh, promote Catholic Vote because they are a phenomenal organization helping Catholics vote pro-life, period. Okay? It's not about party. It's about pro-life. And so Catholic Vote is putting out an update on politicians that have done great things and politicians who are losers. Yeah, I said it, losers. Every month they put out an article. It's called Heroes and Zeros of the Month. And so for the month of February last month, which uh, I know we're in the month of March, but in the month of February, Catholic Vote put out the following. Okay. And the reason they're doing this is because these are self-professed Catholic leaders. And, uh, and so we want to keep these people accountable to their Catholic faith. So we all deserve to know what our Catholic leaders stand for. We need to know who the heroes are and who the zeros are that are causing grave scandal by their word and by their action. So again, thanks to a Catholic vote, every month they're putting out this accountability sheet. And uh, we want to praise the good Catholic politicians out there because they deserve it. But we also want to profile the bad Catholic politicians out there, which are which are legion. And what, ultimately, what's this going to do? This is going to drive all of us to become more prayerful, do more penance, do prayers of reparation. So hero number one, Senator Joe Manchin, Mancine or Manchin. He's a Democrat from West Virginia. Uh, Senator Joe Man 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 Manchin made the cut for his ironclad commitment to fiscal responsibility and for ultimately defeating the ill-conceived Build Back Better bill. We wondered if he would keep his courage in 2022, and guess what? So far, he has. On February 28th, when the stakes were even higher, Senator Joe Manchin once more stood alone against his entire party and voted nay on the deceptively named Women's Health Protection Act. This radical bill revealed the Democrat Party's end game, which is to create an extreme abortion regime stripped of all moderation and restraint and rivaling countries such as North Korea and China in its extremism on abortion. So we salute Senator Manchin once more, a true hero. Now, the, uh, the other Catholic senators who rejected this bill that would have turned us into another North Korea and China with these extreme, uh, again, these extreme radical abortion laws, other Catholic senators who rejected this bill should also be recognized. They deserve recognition. Dan Sullivan, Republican from Arkansas, we salute you. Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, Florida we salute you. Jim Reich, Republican from Indiana, salute you. 
Mike Braun, Republican from Indiana, we salute you. Tom Tillis, Republican from North Carolina, we salute you. John Hoven, Republican from North Dakota, we salute you. Pat Toomey, Republican from Pennsylvania, we salute you. And Mike Rounds, Republican from South Dakota, we salute you. Note, while we are relieved that Senators Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski voted against this extremist bill, they also deserve a rebuke because they introduced an alternate proposal to codify Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey's regime of abortion on demand until birth, but which does not go so far as the Women's Health Protection Act, since it would leave in place state laws that would have up that would have been upheld under the Roe versus Casey framework, including conscious protections. Hero number two of February, Governor Governor Greg Abbott, Republican from Texas. Governor Abbott affirmed that certain sex change procedures constitute child abuse under Texas law. And in doing this, he drew the anger of every major news outlet, as well as condemnation from human rights organizations such as the ACLU and the Gay and Lesbian Alliance defamation against defamation. In a letter to the letter to the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, Governor Abbott instructed the agency to honor the law and investigate any reports of sex change surgeries and other gender affirming treatments. Governor Abbott stood up against the powerful and followed common sense and science. He's a true hero for the children of Texas and the rule of law. We salute Governor Abbott. Hero number three of February. His name is M. Jacob Doc Matthias. He's a principal of Queen of Martyrs Catholic School in Evergreen Park, Illinois. This beloved school principal, M. Jacob Doc Matthews, Matthias, excuse me, knew it was his job to do what was best for the kids, whatever the personal cost to himself. And so he lifted the mass mandate in early February. He says this, quote, what I can't control is relieving the burden of children wearing a covering over their faces, many of whom cannot remember a time when they attended school without having to do so. I don't want our children to remember school or school like that for the rest of their lives. He wrote this in a final letter to the school community. As this might be my last official communication with you, I want to thank you once again for the love and support you have shown to me. Uh, and guess what? The Archdiocese of Chicago immediately placed him on leave Eight days into that leave, he met with the archdiocese and Doc Matthias refused to accept their conditions and was terminated. That man is a hero and shame on the archdiocese of Chicago. A couple of zeros of the month, of last month, zero number one. And we'll continue this on the next segment. My name is Jesse Romero. This is Jesus 911. I'm a one-man car. And uh, we're talking to you about every single month we'll be talking to you about we'll be highlighting the heroes of our country and we'll be highlighting the zeros of our country which seem to be legion jesus 911 we'll be right back stick around don't change that dial
now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. Why is the show called Jesus 911? It's based on Psalm 69, verse 2. Lord, come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help us. Who is that Lord? It's Jesus Christ. That's what we need as Catholics. We need Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. He is the answer. Politics is not the answer. War is not the answer. Uh, again, uh, education is not the answer. Entertainment certainly not the answer. Global warning certainly not the answer. A relationship with Jesus Christ and making him king of your heart and making him king of every single country. The social kingship of Christ. That's the answer to the mess we're in. <clears throat> Thanks to Catholic Vote, Brian Birch, he puts out a, a monthly article called Heroes and Zeros about politicians that are doing good things and politicians doing horrible things. We need to know. But he highlights the Catholic, the Roman Catholic baptized politicians. We need to know who they are. Here are the zeros for last month. Senator Bob Casey, Democrat from Pennsylvania. Senator Bob Casey's father is remembered as a hero of the pro-life movement. He's one of the last Catholic Democrat blue dogs to support pro-life legislation. Governor Bob Casey, senior's name, is forever enshrined in the 1992 Supreme Court case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Why? For his bravery. In fact, President Bill Clinton banned Governor Casey from speaking at his party's 1992 convention. Blue dogs not allowed. All of that makes his son, his son right now, a coward. That's even more disgusting. Senator Casey, his son, described himself as personally pro-life, but has a 65% rating from Planned Parenthood to dishonor his father's memory. On February 28th, the senator voted, Senator Casey voted yay, for the so-called Women's Health Protection Act, this radical, you know, pro-abortion uh, bill that would have made us look like North Korea or China. Shame on this senator for trying to impose on America the evil his father strove so hard to eradicate. His father's probably turning in his grave right now. And uh, uh, joining him, Senator Casey, this Democrat uh, uh, from uh, Pennsylvania, the Walk of Shame, are these other Catholic senators who also voted for the radical abortion bill called Women's Health Protection Act. Shame on Mark Kelly, Democrat from Arizona. Shame on Alex Padilla, Democrat from California. Shame on Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois. Shame on Ed Murky, Markey, Democrat from Massachusetts. Shame on Catherine Cortez Masto, Democrat from Nevada. Shame on Bob Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey. Shame on Kristen, Kristen Gillibrand, Democrat from New York. Shame on Jack Reed, Democrat from Rhode Island. Shame on Patrick Leahy, Democrat from Vermont. Shame on Tim Kaine, Democrat from Virginia. Tame, shame on Maria Cantwell, Democrat from Washington. Shame on De, uh, uh, Patty Murray, Democrat from Washington. And shame on Ben Ray Lujan, Democrat from New Mexico. Zero number two of last month 
is uh, President Joe Biden, or should I say unelected Joe Biden? Why? For nominating KBJ. Who is KBJ? Ketanji Brown Jackson. Unelected Joe Biden describes himself as a devout Catholic, but he earned his place in February as one of those zero politicians by nominating Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to replace retiring Justice Stephen Breyer on the Supreme Court. Judge Jackson is the choice of the radical left. And by all indications, she will be a rubber stamp for all left-wing judicial activism that will continue to push and penalize Catholic beliefs in the public square. Judge Jackson is a leftist ideologue. She's been nominated because she's expected to use the court to reward the far left with support for policies that a majority of the country opposes. When judges become legislators, among those that stand to, the, to lose the most are Catholic hospitals, Catholic schools, charities, and families. President Biden, or unelected Joe Biden, continues to be the most disastrous president to date in the history of the Catholic Church in America. Hey, California, look at your gas prices this morning. Biden may have a 33% approval rating, but it's a 0% of approval rating for the month of February. Zero number three, the administration, Divine Savior Holy Schools High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. On its website, Divine Savior Holy, Holy Angels High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, promises to provide a dynamic Catholic college preparatory environment firmly grounded in Catholic identity and theology. Sadly, its administration seems to seems more devoted to woke identity and woke ideology. Yeah. Although hundreds of parents have expressed concerns after discovering that the private school promotes the racist ideas of critical race theory, CRT, to students, administrators persist in permitting CRT and promoting CRT in classrooms and training teachers. Worst of all, the school actually justifies its CRT devotion by referring concerned parents back to its Catholic identity. For more information on critical race theory and how to fight in your school, see Catholic Votes' newly released guide here. Go to catholicvote.org, catholicvote.org. They have a uh, a guide on critical race theory and why it's wrong for us as Roman Catholic Christians. Also, the, the last zero for the last month is Father James Martin, SJ, surprise, surprise. It wouldn't be heroes and zeros without an appearance by the chaplain, uh, Father James Martin of the CBS Late Show. Uh, last month, he targeted Catholic vote, calling Catholic vote insane and immoral, mounting his favorite soapbox, Father Martin took to Twitter shaming Catholic vote for targeting a dedicated Catholic nun and bishop who work with immigrants. The problem, of course, is that Catholic vote didn't say those things. And, uh, and as, a, as a matter of fact, Catholic vote actually sued the Biden administration. So, also another thing worth mentioning is that last month, Father James Martin took to Twitter and and Father Ed Beck from CNN, or, or yeah, he's the, the priest that's always on CNN. He's a leftist. 
Both of them criticized the Diocese of Phoenix, Arizona. Why? Because there's a Hispanic priest in Phoenix, Arizona, that uh, since the early 2000s, he was ordained a priest, he's been baptizing people with the wrong formula, saying, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? That's not the baptismal for formula. It's I baptize you. The priest is in persona Christi. The congregation, the assembly, the community, the parish, we're not baptizing the individual. Christ is in the priest, through the priest, by the priest. And so Bishop Thomas Olmsted, now this is a nightmare for the Diocese of Phoenix. They have to contact all the people that have been baptized since 2005 by this priest. And they have to be rebaptized. This is a nightmare. Some of them are probably dead. And then we have to give them the other sacraments that they received invalidly because they hadn't been baptized. This is a, a nightmare for the Diocese of Phoenix. And guess what? Father James Martin took to Twitter. He's got a huge following of leftists. And Father Ed Beck, who's the, uh, the priest that's always uh, being called by CNN to give his leftist opinion on all things Catholic, both of them criticized the Bishop of Phoenix for, for what are you so worried about precise language? You know, who cares? Why are you making such a big thing about the baptismal formula? Again, these priests, both these priests, Father Ed Beck and Father James Morton, have lost their supernatural faith. Guess what? Precision is everything in prayer. All right, let's move on to another topic. Vladimir Putin and his Russian Orthodox faith. Is he a true believer or a deceptive opportunist? I'm certainly not canonizing him a saint. I know he's divorced. I know he has a girlfriend. Uh, some people say a mistress. Half his age, just like most politicians. That doesn't surprise me. You know, he's again, he's a man that, that just follows his concupiscence in certain areas when it comes to the passions. And I believe he has two children from this mistress. On, but on January 19th, here's some of the things that we do know about Putin. And again, all of us, every single one of us, myself included, were a combination of saints and sinners, of monsters and angels. That's the whole theology of Romans chapter 7. St. Paul lays it out. Although our spirit has been touched by the spirit of God and we want to do the right thing, we want to say the right thing and we fall again and again because we give in to our flesh. The entire chapter, Romans chapter 7, talks about the war between your spirit and your flesh and that will continue for the rest of your life. Everybody is in that war. And again, this is why as Catholics, we have to order our life, discipline our life, have a life of, of, of ritual prayer, constancy in prayer, uh, form the mind with the word of God. What I tell men, steal your mind, steal your mind with the word of God. And so Vladimir Putin, just like the rest of us, you know, Romans chapter seven applies to him. His spirit has been touched by the spirit of God. I have no doubt, just like, you know, most other people, even Biden. Sure, once upon a time, the spirit of God was uh, touched touched him powerfully in the sacraments 
and he was tracking in the right direction as a Roman Catholic, and somewhere down the line, he just he just got off that narrow path. But let's go back to Putin. On January 19, 2018, Russian President Vladimir Putin stripped of it, stripped off his fur coat and boots in sub-zero temperatures, and flanked by robe by black-robed Orthodox priests wielding enormous gold crosses, descended into the icy waters of Lake Seliger, the 65-year-old leader crossed himself with the sign of the cross as he entered the pool and then lowered his head underwater before emerging. It was a gesture of enormous symbolism. The commemoration of the baptism of Christ is an orthodox ritual that has been practiced in some parts of Europe since the 4th century. To many, Putin's observance of the religious ritual was simply another cynical attempt at a bare-chested photo op. To the Russian Orthodox faithful, meanwhile, it was more evidence of Vladimir Putin's support for the Russian Orthodox Church, if not his own personal devotion to Jesus Christ. We'll continue this. Is Vladimir Putin a, a follower of Christ or a deceiver? We'll take a look. We'll do a deep dive. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, Lord, come come and help us. Lord, make haste to help us. Lord, uh, it, this is an important, Psalm 69 verse 2 tells us everything we need to know. Lord, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Psalm 69, verse 2. And also, St. Padre Pio. Pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful, and God will hear your prayer. Do not give in to fear. Live by faith, not by fear. Speaking about Putin, the question is, is Putin an opportunist? Is he a, de a deceiver, or is he a true believer? That's a question a lot of people have. There's probably elements of truth everywhere. He probably is a true believer. And he probably is an opportunist as well. Because we're sinners. Okay? And he may also be using sleight of hand. <clears throat> so each of these elements, believer, opportunist, deceiver, they probably all contain elements of truth. Putin's increasingly visible support of the Russian Orthodox Church is a key part of, of Putin's search for a new national identity after the collapse of the Soviet Union, an identity that is uniquely Russian and rooted in Russia's rich and storied history. In other words, Putin's biographers agree that he went through a tremendous crisis of identity following the collapse of the Soviet empire where he had spent his life serving in the KGB. But those who dismiss the rejoicing in some Orthodox quarters are forgetting that many of the faithful still remember living in a nation that persecuted all the Christian denominations with vicious relentlessness. And this is why a lot of people are reticent of Putin. For those who recall being forbidden to teach their own children about their faith, when they see the leader of Russia joining an Orthodox ritual of baptism, 
this is both powerful and profound. And I think this is this is Putin's intention. A couple of years ago, another journalist in Russia researched what's what some have called a resurgency of orthodoxy in Russia. So the question is, is Russia experiencing a great reversal of her century of state enforced godlessness? Question, is Vladimir Putin only a crass opportunist or is he genuinely a Russian Orthodox believer? Question, is Russia becoming more socially conservative? Seems that way. As media outlets across the West consistently claim, to what extent do any of these trends impact Russia's stand in the West and influence the increasingly toxic geopolitical climate? It's certainly true that the perception of Russian orthodoxy in Russia has become positive. It's also true, many people have seen this for themselves as they've, as they've, as they've been to Russia as journalists. They've, they've also seen that it's just not the elderly attending church. The cathedrals in Russia appear to be packed with young people as well and families on Sundays. A choir director noted in awe that nobody's prohibited from singing in a church choir these days. Indeed, many singers from prestigious music institutions now also sing at church services on Sunday. Churches are everywhere in Russia, and they're actually open. And some wizened old men and women, they cross themselves and place carefully lit candles and burning incense in other churches, young people stand with their hats respectfully, twisting in their hands. Church in Russia seems to be an intergenerational experience. I'll tell you one of the reasons also, because in the Orthodox uh, divine liturgies, there's reverence. They, they, don't, they haven't uh, brought in modernism to their liturgies, like, uh, like Annabelle Bunini did in the 60s to the Roman Rite, and we now call it the Novus Ordo, Missae. It was modified. The Orthodox haven't changed their liturgy since the 4th century, so that's one of the reasons I would say that young people are attracted to that ancient, mystical, you're stepping into history, and you encounter the mystery of God in, with, in reverence. So, uh, There's a new narrative concerning the Russian Orthodox Church. And this is a narrative that's beginning to emerge. It's a story of an institution that survived the savage persecutions of the Soviet era and preserved the true history and culture of Holy Mother Russia from the godless barbarians who could butcher with the comfort that there was no no God to judge them for their bloody deeds. These martyrs now serve as an inspiration And the blood that watered the Russian soil is a new lifeblood for a desperately needed Russian identity. Salavat Sherbakov, a sculptor, told told one interviewer the following, quote, "We we in Russia, we're coming back to our roots. We still do not understand these roots very well. It's a kind of search for identity, close quote. 
So Salavat, the sculptor, described the atheist schooling of the Soviet Union as a, quote, kind of struggle against our own history and spirituality and noted, close quote, and he noted also that while he did not know pre-Soviet Russia, he knew people who remembered it. Salavat, the sculpture, said, we are trying to resurrect it. We want a spiritual rebirth in Russia, close quote. And so many see Putin's tacit endorsement of the Russian Orthodox Church as atoning for 70 years of state persecution by the communists. On the other hand, others are concerned about the increasingly close relationship between the church and the state. Orthodox blogger Deacon Andrew Kurayev explained, for example, he's worried that the state will co-opt the, the independence of the church again especially considering the well-documented history of Soviet infiltration and attempts to utilize the Russian Orthodox Church as an ecclesiastical wing of the Communist Party. Deacon Kurayev and others are suspicious that Putin, in his efforts to recreate a muscular national identity rooted in Russia's past, may be attempting to strengthen the social position of the Russian Orthodox Church for his own purposes. Defending Christian values is a good thing, the deacon says, of course. But he also says, quote, is freedom of religion on the list? Close quote. Considering the KGB's past thorough infiltration of the Russian Orthodox Church under the Soviets, that's a good question to ask. Are the Russian Orthodox still going to have freedom of religion? To be sure... Putin is an enigma. I haven't figured him out. I'm a juror. The jury's still the jury's still out here. I'm still taking in all the data, all the evidence. It, it, is Putin a communist that's infiltrating Christianity and using Christianity as a shield? I don't know. I don't know. Or is he a Christian who rejects the woke culture and is using his KGB communist training to resurrect Russia? And make it an influential world, world power and beat back the woke nations into submission to Christianity. Time will tell. I'm just a juror. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. God doesn't speak to me. I don't get no voices, audible or inaudible or locutions. I just have common sense and look at the history of mankind through the lenses of a Roman Catholic Christian. An initial glance, at least, would indicate that the Russian government's new fondness for religion extends exclusively to the Russian Orthodox Church with the history and sense of continuity that it provides, and it seems to leave other religious groups abruptly out, out in the cold. In 2016, Vladimir Putin signed several so-called anti-terrorism measures into law that made it mandatory for Russian citizens to acquire a permit from the government through a specifically registered religious organization in order to engage in proselytism. And even then, these efforts are restricted to churches or other religiously oriented sites. In 2016, legislation, the legislation signed by Putin, which is an extension of a 1997 piece of legislation that, Putin, that Putin's predecessor signed, Boris Yeltsin. And this was signed with the justification that it is necessary to track extremist Islamist groups, kind of like the Patriot Act. 
But while the law has been used to take action against a handful of mosques, Dr. Eric Patterson points out that the law is obviously intended to give the Russian government sweeping power over all religious groups. Dr. Patterson says, quote, a simple look at the restrictions makes this clear. Restrictions on public meetings, inviting foreign pastors or missionaries to visit, restrictions on publishing and broadcast, zoning and permit requirements, and other legal intrusions. Close quote. So the primary target of this law, it seems, are not only Islamist extremists, but Jehovah's Witnesses, Scientologists, Mormons, and even traditional evangelicals have been targeted. Dr. Andrew Bennett, a senior fellow at the Religious Freedom Institute that, who wrote for the Berkeley Center for Religion in 2017, said, quote, close to 200 individuals and communities charged with anti-missionary activities since July 2016 in Russia have been outright suppressed in Russia. Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, Scientologists, according to Dr. Bennett, Russia's government has a, a, a very different view of religious liberty than Christians in the West, and he sees laws restricting religious freedom as a mere matter of enforcing public order. Indeed, Russia has always, been, has always limited freedom of religion, emerging Christian denominations. In Tsarist Russia, they've also faced persecution at times, something Tolstoy described vividly in his last great work, Resurrection. We'll be right back talking about... Putin. He's an enigma to be sure. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Who is Vladimir Putin? Is he a deceiver? Is he an opportunist? Or is he a believer? He may be all three. Part of the rationale for the restrictions in, in Russia, the reason Russia is a, a suspicious of foreign influences and of other missionaries, it, it was for this same reason that, that Russian Baptists were at least initially treated far more harshly than Orthodox believers, even under the Soviet regime. They just don't trust the West. They don't trust Western religions. Why? Putin sees the West as decadent, corrupt, and morally bankrupt. He said this in several speeches. So the idea that Western missionaries would have anything to teach the Russian people, uh, Putin says, we don't need the West. We don't need missionaries from the West. We have all the traditions of orthodoxy at our disposal uh, e even though they're often treated with contempt and viewed as, uh, uh, you know, sometimes they're treated bad. But Poon looks at Western missionaries as this is typical Western arrogance. Why is Poon distrustful of the West? He's even distrustful of Western missionaries. Can you blame him? Western Protestants have caved in on contraception, LGBT ideology in many denominations, pride flags, Marrying homosexuals, women pastors, pride parades, euthanasia, abortion. A lot of Protestant denominations have caved in on these moral issues. 
Can you blame Putin for not wanting Western missionaries? To some Western observers, the relationship between Vladimir Putin's government and the Russian Orthodox Church is simply part of Putin's strategy to contrast Russia with the West and revive a powerful sense of nationalism. It's not simply that the Orthodox hierarchy sees Russia as an inherently better, more righteous nation. They believe they have already made the mistake that the West is currently choosing. They tried communism in Russia. They tried this militant godlessness. And what did it bring Russia? It brought them nothing but bloodshed. Now they say Russia under Putin we're returning back to the path that we abandoned. And they're attempting to rebuild the soul of a nation with Russian Christi Orthodox Christianity. In fact, even Orthodox Patriarch Kirill said in a recent speech, he said, quote, we know that some developed countries because of their wealth and power are trying to uproot faith from their lives. That does not, that does not mean there is no faith left inside the people of those countries. But it is harder and harder for them to confess their faith. We, Holy Rus, having passed through the difficult stages of the full denial of God's existence and any presence of God in our people's lives, have now turned to God and what we see is wonderful. We see big changes, including in our young people's consciousness. No generation of, of, of young people was subjected to such temptations such attempts to distort moral nature as this generation. And therefore, it is God's miracle that more and more young Russian people are turning to God. In a later speech, Patriarch Kirill, he repeated the same things that he said before. He said, quote, We know that our revolution ended, intended to crush the old world, which centered on God. We drank the bitter cup of persecution. We gained many martyrs and confessors, what I like to say is that in my personal life, my first teachers were confessors. My grandfather and father suffered in prison camps, not because they broke any state laws, but because they, not, they did not betray the Lord and the Orthodox Church. Our people passed through those trials, but again today, new forces are capturing the entire planet. That's called the, uh, uh, the woke ideology, the globalist, the great reset people. That's what he's talking about. These globalists, these great reset, the woke people. He says, they are imposing an idea of life without God, and we see it now being enforced. It took the shape of law in many developed countries. Laws that allow same-sex marriage, a soul-crushing sin that goes against the word of God, against holiness, against God. The result is a dangerous phenomenon in the life of modern humankind. It is called de-Christianization. Today, we see it as a global heresy, human idol worship, a new idolatry that drives God away from human life. It is global as never before. This is why Russia doesn't want to be part of the European Union, and they want to take Ukraine back and save it from being part of the European Union. And what was Patriarch Kirill's response to the global threat of de-Christianization as he described it? He said, a short and powerful mission statement. He said, today's church is obligated to create the force of its protection, the force of its word, the force of its thought. To put it simply, we are obligated to protect orthodoxy in Russia. Close quote. I think this is what Putin is trying to do. 
unfortunately, through war, people are going to get killed. Innocent people are hurt and killed. But uh, he's, he, Kirill said throughout history, the persecution of Christians has always ultimately failed, but people are simply too stupid to see it. In the West, he sees the same mistake being made. Today's persecutors are making the same mistake in Western Europe in these modern times, he said. By closing down churches and monasteries, they think they can have political culture and political philosophy without God. By fighting religion, they think they're going to create a blessed society trying to uproot the Christian faith they, they did not learn. The best evidence that persecution fails is our church in Russia and our country in Russia. Great point. Putin also, he put out a speech. He talked about, uh, he talked about the basis of, of the Russian approach to social conservatism. He said, attempts by the government to encroach on people's beliefs and views are a manifestation of totalitarianism. That would be completely unacceptable to us. And we do not follow, we do not plan to follow the path. We must not follow the path of prohibition and limitations, but instead we must secure a firm spiritual and moral foundation for our society in Russia. This is precisely why issues of general education, culture, and youth policy are so significant. These areas are not just a collection of services, rather, first and foremost, they are the environments for creating a moral, harmonious person, a responsible Russian citizen. So in Putin's words, one can see the fusion in his mind, the roles of the church and the state. A number of Orthodox clergy were asked, as well as several Russian journalists, what they thought Putin actually believed, and their answers amounted to a collective shrug. We're not sure. One, pre one priest noted that Putin is very smart, and he left it at that. And that's not to mention the 20,000 the 20, churches and 800 monasteries that have been restored to their former glory under Putin. Did you hear that? I don't know. The best, the best evidence for Putin's view of the Russian Orthodox Church that he sees it first and foremost as the vehicle for Russian identity. This can be found in a documentary released on the leading Russian television channel, Rossiya One, just prior to, to the 2000 presidential election, the film, the film titled Valam, centered on a monastery of that, uh, of that name located on a remote archipelago in Lake Ladoga, one of the many rebuilt with Putin's support. And the symbolism is clear. Just like the once glorious monastery, Russia's being restored to its former greatness under Putin's rule. The history of Mother Russia can be traced, can be traced alongside the history of the Russian Orthodox Church. And the rise of the one is inextricably connected with that of the other. Now, once again, Putin, with all his defects and imperfections, may just be a reformer used by God to make Russia great again under Russian Orthodox Christianity, which, again, now makes it one step closer to Catholic Christianity. In that film, Valam, Putin even makes the bizarre case that the communist communism of the Soviet Union and the Orthodox Christianity of the Russian Orthodox Church are almost exactly the same. The communist, Putin says, simply recreated many traditions of orthodoxy, but in a secular way. In fact, Putin says, the communist ideology is very similar to Christianity. For example, the embalmed corpse of Lenin, Putin noted, 
bears many resemblances to the relics of Orthodox saints. I think that's kind of a stretch on his part. Now, the problem with most narratives surrounding the Russian Orthodox Church and Putin's Russia is that they're too simplistic. It is true that the average Russian now views the church benevolently, and it's also true that 80% of Russians claim to be Orthodox believers. But just as in Western Europe, where there's an enormous divide between those who claim affiliation with a Christian denomination and those who actually go to church, the number of Russians who actually practice Orthodoxy is still staggeringly low. Optimists say that at most 8% of Russians attend church on Easter, the most important Christian holiday in Russian Orthodoxy. That said, observers point out that the, the church's attendance is steadily increasing, and, and at least based on, on journalist observations that have been there, that appears to be true. Either way, whatever's happening to the Russian Orthodox Church is still in its very early stages, far too early to make any bold claims about sweeping trends. And while it is true that whatever his personal beliefs might be, Vladimir Putin sees the Russian Orthodox Church as a key element in his nationalist political strategies. It's also true that the Russian Church sees itself as tasked with reviving Russian Orthodoxy and remaining true to the blood of the 21st century martyrs by warning the world of the dangers of militant secularism and communism. It's a story that is still unfolding, and it's a story that should not be ignored. Again, I'll be the first to tell you. Um, I don't claim to be a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I can tell you this, that Putin is an enigma. But I can tell you this, whether Putin is a, a believer, a deceiver, or an opportunist, I think the fairest assessment would be is to say, you know what? He can be all three. Why not? We're all sinners. And we're all, uh, I also like to tell people that we're all saints under construction. You've been listening to Jesus 911. That's a wrap. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm out. 10 7. E O W, end of watch. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands on apologetics. Coming to you for the Midwest Command Center. Pray your rosaries every day. And God will bring the peace promised to us our Lady of Fatima. Live in a state of grace through the five first Saturdays, at least once a year. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you tomorrow, same time.